Being an agriculture producer is a pretty fiercely independent occupation. Sure, there's the sometimes voluntary, sometimes obligatory help from family, and the occasional hiring of hired hands, but for the most part, agriculture producers spend a lot of time working on their own. If they don't get it done, it likely won't get done. As much as the job is part mechanic, part vet, part carpenter, part chemist, part welder, part accountant, and occasionally part entertainer, there are certain things a producer can't do solo. Like brandings, for example, or talking behind the neighbor's back at the coffee shop, or bringing about a paradigm shift in agriculture. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're looking at regenerative agriculture and how it can be helped by cooperatives. My name is Rod, and I call myself a farmer, but I live in the city, so urban farmer. Okay, so maybe you're thinking we've lost our minds here. This is the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast, after all. The podcast that highlights the on-farm climate solutions that are good for the farm, good for the climate, and that are largely applicable to rural Alberta. And then here we go and interview an urban farmer living in Calgary. So why did we bring an urban farmer like Rod Olson of YYC Growers on the podcast? Well, we thought he'd be a good person to tackle a very timely question in agriculture right now, and a question that's very relevant to the work of Rural Roots. The, the main question of the regenerative agriculture lab that you're a part of right now is how do we accelerate the uptake of regenerative agriculture with its integrity intact in the province of Alberta? So how do we do that, Rod? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about for probably eight years. That is probably way longer than most of us have been thinking about how to increase the adoption of regenerative agriculture in Alberta. But granted, there probably are a few of you out there who have been thinking about this question even longer. And when it comes to this question, Rod does have some very valuable insights. Plus, as a very active member of YYC Growers, which is an agricultural cooperative out of Calgary, Rod also has some ideas as to how co-ops can help us advance regen ag in the province. And lastly, Rod actually does have some rural Alberta street cred, which you'll hear about in the interview. In the first part of this episode, we'll learn about Rod's story, as well as the story of YYC growers. Rod will also give us a bit of a lesson in how co-ops work. Then in the second half, to wrap things up and tie a bow on this episode, Rod will share his thoughts on how to move the regenerative agriculture movement forward right here in Alberta. And keep in mind, as you're listening to this episode, we recorded the interview with Rod at the beginning of October this year. I'm really trying to activate land for regenerative purposes as much as I can in an urban context. Okay. Why did you land on an urban context? That's where I ended up, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like I like living in the city. I like the the access to to people and events and culture and that sort of thing. Not that we've had that for the last couple of years, but yeah, that's I think why I end up in the city. Even though I was born and raised as a farm kid, 
Mm. Which uh, leads me to my next question, because you, you kind of got an interesting path. Like there's people like me who weren't born on the farm, but now kind of find themselves in ag- agriculture. But you were born into it, then you got out of it, and then you got back into it. So yeah, we'll hopefully talk about that. Like what was your pathway into agriculture, out of agriculture, and then back into agriculture? Yeah, well, so I was born into it. Small farm east of Camrose. Yeah, mixed farm. And so my my superpower on the farm was kind of the cattle. Um I kind of knew them all and the genetics and all that kind of stuff. And But really, I graduated from high school and couldn't wait to get off the farm. And so ended up getting a psych degree and then a theology degree. And But every time I was moving to a different town or, or that, I, I realized I'm growing my own food. So I'm, And part of that was at UBC getting uh, my master's and, and uh, creating community gardens while I'm out there just thinking, yeah, we need to be able to grow our own food. Like that seems to be a, a fundamental human right. And so that, 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 that was what got me kind of thinking about agriculture again. And, and I stumbled upon the spinfarming.ca website. And 2010, my brother-in-law and I started a small plot intensive farm, a spin farm here in Calgary. And that, that kind of launched me back into agriculture in a pretty deep deep way okay and is that the whole is that how leaf and liar got started yeah so that was leaf and liar okay. he was leaf and i was liar <laughs> oh i had no idea okay i don't know what i thought it was but i didn't think it was that yeah <laughs> and not liar l-i-a-r but l-y-r-e this is an important thing to point out okay <laughs> we'll make sure that makes the final cut of this episode rod also conveniently left out the fact he sings in a professional chamber choir too The guy is definitely a renaissance human. But just in case you're like me, and you've heard of spin farming before, but you had no idea it was an acronym, or what the acronym stands for, spin, or small plot intensive farming, is like backyard gardening. The notable difference is, it's about taking backyard gardens and turning them into commercially viable agricultural operations. The two creators of Spin Farming, Sawali Satchwich and Gail Vandersteen, actually live in Saskatchewan, and they were managing 30 different garden plots at one time. I'll put a link to the article I found on those two up on the website. Now, I'm familiar with YYC Growers. Obviously, you are. How about we just kind of introduce folks to YYC Growers, who they are, what they do, et cetera, et cetera. Because I was doing local agriculture and selling to restaurants and trying to do farmer's markets, and I actually had a CSA with with it as well. Um, there were a few other small farms popped up at the same time. And mm-hmm. and so we we're like, well, there's got to be a way to work together and, and kind of pool resources. And, and so that's where the idea of kind of working together started. And so we, we were a society for the first few years, and then in 2017 became an official cooperative. Uh, and so at that point, it was 20 small farms, and it was urban farms, but also kind of rural farms as well, so larger vegetable production farms. And so, and so we came together and, and became a cooperative. And, and really, the, the, our, main, our main offering is what we call a harvest box, which is kind of like a CSA, only a CSA is, you know, there's a, there's a shared risk uh, on the eater as as well as the farmer. So if the farmer gets hailed out, anyone that buys into a CSA knows that they might not get food that week. Um, whereas ours, you're always guaranteed to get food because we've got 20 different members. Um, and so if someone does get hailed out, kind of sucks, but we can go to someone else who didn't get hailed out that, that time. So it's a weekly box of vegetables that comes either to your door or to 
about 20 different pickup locations in Calgary. More and more, our farmers are, are moving kind of in a regenerative ag direction. Yeah, so that's why we see growers. Awesome. Farm, farmer-owned producer cooperative is kind of what we are currently. Very cool. And um, any like notable successes that YYC Growers has that you could share with us? Yeah, well, I mean, just this past year, we won the Emerald Award. Nice. Um, so that's a, the Emerald Foundation is a, is a set up to basically honor those that are doing environmental work in, in the world. And so we, we won the, in the category of business. So super stoked about that for, to be recognized for kind of, yes, the work that we're trying to do to not only produce food, but to, to kind of improve the, the ecosystem while we're doing it. And okay, so we know YYC Growers works with a lot of farmers, provides food, but as I understand, you guys also have a few, or you folks have a few uh, events going on right now. The main yeah. thing that we're working on right now is a crowdfunding campaign. We landed on some opportunities to kind of improve our cooler system in our warehouse. Uh, and so we're all set up to kind of expand uh, and make regenerative egg more and more accessible. But so we had to kind of put that money out ahead of time and we're doing this crowdfunding to kind of re- recover some of those costs. But the way I like to talk about it is is that because YRC Growers, we, re- we actually see ourselves as a social enterprise. Uh, and so really kind of looking at ways of working, like how we work together as, as, as humans, but then also improving environmental outcomes. And, uh, and so that's, that's partly why we've launched this crowdfunding. In a food business, we have very slim margins and yet what we what we're doing is is for the commons it's for the benefit benefit of 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 us all for the future for our kids health and all that kind of stuff and so we feel like yeah let's let's reach out to our community and see if we can generate a little bit of money so we have a target of of 50,000 that we're wanting to raise through this crowdfunding campaign you can go to ywcgrowers.com and there's a little green bar at the top where it says donate here very cool and is it running to the end of the year or yeah. okay yeah yeah. So, and and we've we've already done uh, like a bike tour of some of our urban farm plots as one of the perks, and then we just finished on the weekend a, a farm tour of two of our two of our farms north of the city. And we've got a a dinner planned. It was going to be mid November, but I think with the the way that things are, mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at a late winter, early spring dinner uh, so that we can actually gather together and really celebrate local food. I know neither one of us is an expert in co-ops. I guess we could have brought in Seth for that part, but you, you do know a heck of a lot more than I do, and you've got a lot of experience with YYC growers. So, just some basic like co-ops 101, like what the heck is a co-op? How does it work? Just so on and so forth. Yeah, so I think cooperative is is really like a membership structure, an ownership structure. It's like uh, one member, one vote. Uh, and so it, like, it's like an, e- there's an equality, um, that comes in that. And so like typically in our organizing as, as humans, there's always a, a hierarchy. Um, and so with a cooperative, you get, you know, one member, one vote. Um, so I think that's a, that's a huge foundation of it. It's also typically you've set up a co-op because it's going to benefit your members in some capacity. So with YWC Growers, we are a producer cooperative. And one of the reasons we got together was to ensure that there was good payment for the farms. So, yeah, so we we try and maximize as much income back to the farm as possible. Whereas a lot of times when when farmers do bulk, there's this huge downward price pressure on the farmer to kind of really reduce their their costs. And so we we bake that into the... uh, 
the cooperative documents and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then I think, I mean, the beautiful part of it too then is is like if the co-op is doing well, then we're all doing well. Like, so it's not just, it's not like a typical middleman in the agricultural world who, you know, makes money off the backs of farmers, uh, but we are the farmers. And, and so as we become prosperous then as a as a entity then that pro- that prosperity gets shared with the with the farmers so with the co-op what are just some like benefits to being part of a co-op and sort of what are some downsides to the co-op structure like I, i'm sure it has like a certain purpose for certain situations it's not like a i don't know one size fits all kind of thing so what are some pros and cons to co-ops yeah i think what we've realized in terms of of operating YWC growers I think one of the pros is definitely this this shared prosperity like so immediately people go oh okay there's there's not just one person behind it uh and I think that that uh, yeah there's like there's a I don't know there's a positive vibe about that and I think there's there's actually an increasing interest in co-ops as a because of that Uh, so I think there's a huge a huge benefit something that we've we've kind of discovered in in terms of the kind of the foundational part of designing a co-op that we've actually started struggling with is is the fact that a a co-op is all like it's this idea it's this David and Goliath kind of thing so like a co-op is always kind of put together it seems when there's a this large opponent that is is looming and so you you always have this kind of small man syndrome i don't know (laughs) something that where you're you're trying to go against this thing and so like it it almost starts as a as a perspective of lack is what we've been finding Hmm. and and because we want to regenerate life uh if it almost feels like it's the wrong um to do that so so we've really been been actually trying to explore some some structures legal structures that that allow for for this for the expansive kind of like if if we trust that there is huge abundance in the in the in the world in in the ecosystem then how are we structured as our as our business in order to be able to respond to that and so as a co-op this one member one vote thing is a very clunky process and and culturally we've forgotten how to actually have good dialogue mm. we like to be polar and yell at each other from mm. from the wings or from the edges and and a co-op requires that we actually have create a, a wide open space in the middle to have good dialogue and and exchange um so i find that even just culturally we're we're less and less prone to be able to function well in a cooperative environment because you do have to have that kind of collaborative seek like conversational kind of pro- approach i was going somewhere with that conversation no it's a really interesting observation i didn't think because yeah you're right it does feel like things are becoming more and more polarized and we don't have conversations that often like we scream each at each other a lot and they have that need for almost like mediation in between because you can't expect everybody to want the same thing but doesn't mean you can't have a conversation right yeah well and then to for me to disagree with you we've lost track on how how do we actually still work in the same like how, how are we still owners and so it, for me i think there's there's great hope and p- potential for a cooperative structure but i think what what uh what we've also been discovering is that there's like so with the blockchain reality and a lot of kind of tech wizardry that's out there you can code trust into the system you're gonna have to explain that one okay i don't know if i'm the right person to explain it but but, but yeah, like when you write code, 
you can create the the pillars of what you want to see happen in in something hmm. and so it takes out it takes out the human ego pride whatever it ha- whatever it happens to be <clears throat> and so we're looking at at ways of organizing you know shifting our cooperative in and trying to access some of those tools that are that are now kind of being rampantly developed it's a, it's a really like in the in the tech world um is they're doing all kinds of magical experimental cooperative collaborative distributed leadership type type things so so like there's a, all all kinds of transparency uh, you can see exactly what what decisions are being made yeah so we're we're trying to take grab a hold of that this feels very <laughs> opaque <laughs> this is a better explanation <clears throat> than i can give but it's, it's almost like cause like you were saying that like for a co-op like it should have certain outcomes and if what like yeah. just hypothetically say that one outcome is like we want better ecosystem goods and services you can literally like code that in to whatever is behind the cooperative and hopefully that'll lead to that outcome is that kind of what you're saying yeah it is and and i guess partly i'm trying to then so I'm working with some scientists to to then try and 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 soil labs to to baseline our our operations so that that can be part of a very functional part of of our cooperative so that we actually bake that into into our structure and currently the the current cooperative kind of format I mean that we don't really have access to that we can we can say well what are your growing practices and we can tour but we we we're wanting to step that up to having you know soil samples and and different things like that leaf tissue analysis as well so that we can respond to that kind of in in quick time i do want to talk a little bit though about cooperatives being you know an interesting tool as well so we we are a producer cooperative and what we've found is there's some limitations to that as well and so it it really the needs we we focus on our needs as producers but we're we're creating a product for our customers and so where is their voice in our in our cooperative Mm. and we were very much farmer owner producer led for the first few years Uh, so we all all had kind of volunteer hours that we needed to contribute to the to the cooperative and now now we've shifted to a very much a staff run organization and now the staff are kind of gutting it out on our behalf as farmers and uh, you know what where is their kind of connection to the to the prosperity right now they're just getting a wage and so we're looking, and so one of the things that the co-ops do, does offer is this multi-stakeholder cooperative idea. And so you can have the producers involved and, you know, what it means to be a producer and what are the rules and rules of engagement and governance structure around them. But then we're thinking, well, the staff need to have some kind of ownership capacity as well. And then what what, what what's the, the rules of engagement and around then, but then also consumers. And so I, th- I think even that one, I'd love to kind of, explore the idea of even a producer consumer cooperative idea Hmm. yeah so like there is some flexibility i guess is what i'm saying as well um in even when there there's these limitations yeah well that's kind of cool in the structure also like when you're talking about like putting producers and consumers on like a board together that's making decisions for an organization that like it could feel like it was making me uncomfortable just thinking of it because it's just like half the time these people don't really speak the same language in the sense of like different values, different perspectives on the food system, stuff like that. I don't think I'd want to be the facilitator in that meeting. I won't lie to you. <laughs> but it, like it totally makes sense because you, 
you can't have a healthy food system or agriculture system without both sides talking to each other. Like it's, it's great that the producers are producing food, but somebody needs to buy the food yeah. and vice versa. Like consumers have the money, but somebody needs to produce the food for them that they can't produce themselves. Uh, there's a producer co-op like YYC Growers. Then the co-op that 99% of Albertans are familiar with, that's a consumer's co-op. Is that the difference? Yeah. Okay. Okay. At least I got that part right. Uh, the next question then would be, I'm just kind of curious for a producer, w w when you're interacting with a co-op or just like your regular grocery store, what exactly is the key difference there? Or is there a key difference? Maybe that's a better question. Selling into... Yeah, if I was selling to Sobeys uh, versus right. like selling to YYC growers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, for our, ours, I mean, we're small, so we're not at the scale of, of, of a Sobeys situation, but, but there is that kind of face recognition. Now, mm -hmm. we list the farms. So when, when you get your harvest box, you know which farm produced it and the farmer who's behind that farm. And so there's a, there's a, there's a direct connection. And then, as I mentioned earlier, like we baked in a higher premium, you know, so if you're selling to Sobeys, they're going to push you down um, because they, they play a volume game. Mm -hmm. And so if they can get more volume, uh, they can ask for a lower price. And ultimately, like economically, that doesn't necessarily work with our regenerative egg people. So they, they're typically smaller uh, operations anyways. And so kind of guaranteeing a bit of income for them, I think, is, is another difference. From what I understand, cooperatives in Alberta actually have a pretty long history, especially in rural Alberta, where it was mainly neighbors getting together in co-ops that led to rural electrification and rural natural gas distribution. Which I find quite fascinating because for the most part, I think people outside of Alberta think of it as this like very strong-willed, independent, individualistic kind of place. But there's still some co-ops connected to agriculture that are active in Alberta to this day. You've got the Battle River Railway out of Forestburg, a railway company that moves a lot of grain for local producers in East Central Alberta. There's the Waldron Ranch or the Waldron Grazing Cooperative south of Longview, which you may have seen in the short documentary Guardians of the Grasslands. You've got Westlock Terminals and Westlock, a grain company. And of course, a co-op that we all know, the United Farmers of Alberta, or UFA. Like, this isn't the first conversation I've had with a producer about creating a co-op or about farmers co-ops in general. And like, I, I've only been at it for five years, so I'm, sh I'm assuming this conversation has been going on for a while in Alberta. And so there's definitely interest in the agriculture community, I find, at least in co-op so i'm just in from your experience what are some things that a, a producer should be aware of or need to know before they go down the road of joining a co-op or going down that even longer road of creating their own co-op yeah i think the first thing you, you want to do is is like if you want to be part of a co-op um just do also like interacting and collect collaboratively decision making with with mm. people like so that that needs to be kind of your, your i find in south america they 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 just get it a lot more and so like cooperatives seem to flourish a lot more in south america we're just maybe a little too independent and so but yeah so i think i think that would that would be kind of number one and then i think number two would be like is the cooperative actually the structure that you need so like typically when you're answering that question it's like 
a co-op is set up for the mutual benefit of the members. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us as farmer producers and YBC grower, we wanted to get a fair pay. So we, we kind of baked in a, a price that we would guarantee all of our farmers that, and that was part of our process. And so really you need to kind of determine what, what is the purpose and is it going to be best served by a cooperative structure or is there maybe a different structure that, that makes more sense? All right, so we've arrived at the part of the episode where Rod shares his thoughts around regenerative agriculture and what regen ag means to him. Now, this might be a good time for me to explain the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions Regenerative Agriculture Lab. It's one of our projects. Now, you might know already that Rural Roots is more than a podcast. We undertake a bunch of different community engagement and education activities in Alberta, mainly focused on agriculture, things like our farmer's blog, the solar lab, workshops and field days when COVID wasn't a thing, unfortunately, and webinars. Now, the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, along with our Siksakai Satipi Agriculture Project or our Blackfoot Agriculture Project, are probably two of our more unique activities. Earlier this year, the Regen Lab set out on a mission, and that mission was to figure out how to increase the adoption rates of regenerative agriculture in Alberta. Regen Egg is this great agriculture management system that's good for the land, good for the farm, but only practiced by a minority of producers in the province and likely practiced by a minority of producers across the developed world. So if it's so great, what's the holdup here? Well, through the lab, agriculture producers like Rod came up with different ideas for increasing those adoption rates. They came up with some really interesting ones, too, and we're actually exploring one of them right now through this podcast episode. And oh, by the way, when I say lab, you're probably thinking of, you know, mad scientists and white coats, chemical explosions in the background and some sort of sterile room. That's not the Regen Lab. The Regenerative Agriculture Lab is a social innovation lab meaning the lab isn't a medical research facility. The lab, and I'm using air quotes around the word lab here, was simply us sharing our thoughts and ideas and testing and challenging those thoughts and ideas in a series of Zoom meetings. Had the pandemic not happened, it all would have been in person. We just wrapped up phase one of the Regen Lab at the end of November. And we're going to launch phase two in March of 2022. So stay tuned. I'll let you in on a little secret here. I literally found out this very morning that we got the funding to do phase two of the lab. So if I'm sounding a bit more chipper than usual in this episode, you now know why. Now you might be wondering, what is regenerative agriculture? This podcast tends to deal more with on-farm or on-ranch climate solutions. Well, Rod's going to tackle that question for us right now. Okay. Uh, so obviously regenerative agriculture has become, well, it's definitely become way more popular as a term this, well, I guess in 2020, that's when I really noticed other people who weren't regenerative producers talking about regenerative agriculture. And now you got like Pepsi and McCain saying they're going to go for it. They want to be part of the regenerative movement. Still not a lot of, lot of uh, consensus around a definition for regenerative agriculture. And uh, I'm not putting a lot of pressure on you to come up with one on the spot, but I'm just kind of curious in your own words, what is regenerative agriculture? 
Yeah, I think for me, number one, it's a decision, a decision to, to kind of put back or to build back the ecosystem. So you really, it's a decision to move away from the extractive model that uh, agriculture has been built on, um, that we're, we're just mining the resources of, of the ecosystem and, and yeah, to give back. So I think that's, for me, that's, that's the number one thing. And I often will always say as well, like context is super important. And, and when I think about that, like, it, these are indigenous practices that are in harmony with with local areas you know so we've got you know incredible beef producers here that are using their cattle to mimic the bison and so that and that's that's what grasslands want they want that heavy uh, hoof kind of disturbance and then you know a quick you know snack and a poop and and then off you go and you don't come back to that area again for 60 days or who know who knows how long mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I, for me, I think regenerative ag like always has to kind of keep that indigenous perspective because we're borrowing um, practices that that were developed over thousands of years of better harmonious relationships with the land. Like I, what I actually love about regenerative ag is that it's a destination, it's a journey, and and I think that's where a lot of the concern over a definition comes in because you can be a lot of different places on that journey. But I like the journey idea because you're never you're never done whereas like organic certification you you hit the certification and then i mean our human response is like okay i don't have to work anymore i'm like no no, no. i think the environment ecosystem the complexity of it actually demands that we constantly be iterating all the time and so yeah so i i hope a definition doesn't come that you know Get, makes it too too limiting. The one thing that I wanted I do want to say about that is that so if you are on a journey, um, then one of the things that you need to implement is is like some outcomes verification. So ecosystem services, soil health, you know, increase in carbon, increase in organic matter. So you need to be able to show that your practices are actually improving those those kind of metrics. So I think for me, a definition around regenerative ag really comes down to what what do we want to measure? What do we want to what do we want to see improved? And and I and I know like you know carbon would be top of the list, but but not just as a as a mechanism to to get farmers more money, but as a mechanism to to kind of showcase the fact that no, I'm I'm treating this land so that my kids kids can can flourish on it. Yeah, so to have that long range idea. So that that's for me like. Regenerative ag is a, is a very, it's a long range picture. Like you're thinking about, well, I mean, seven generations is a indigenous principle. Mm-hmm. You know, what we do here, we want it to still be around for seven generations. So I'm curious, and I am being somewhat of a devil's advocate with this question. So we've already got regenerative agriculture, we've got sustainable agriculture, and the list kind of goes on and on from there. So we do have agricultural systems in theory that are doing things for the environment and ecology why do we need regenerative agriculture what does regenerative agriculture have that the other ones don't have yeah i mean that is a is a great question because uh man i can answer it on two two levels like on one level as a farmer we don't need another name it's like we end up putting all of the pressure on the farmer like so get your organic certification get this get that you know, in the, in the States, even like the non-GMO kind of push. But yeah, so in a sense, we, do we actually need anything? But but I think what, what regenerative ag does capture is the fact that we are, we are trying to put things back uh, into the ecosystem. Mm. So even an organic, uh, one of our farms is, is certified organic. Uh, and he started recognizing that his soil was not responding well. 
So like you can be certified organic, but still have soil degradation issues. And so I think with regenerative agriculture, like this, this notion of regenerating, I think is, is an important piece. And, and so you're in that contrast between a degenerative state. And so like if, if you're doing sustainable agriculture, like on degenerated soil, mm. you're going to perpetuate degeneration in your sustaining of that system. If that makes any sense. Totally. So we have to we have to flip that narrative and start regenerating. And so that's why I think like even having like soil tests, carbon, you know, organic matter, all that kind of stuff on your radar is is such an important part of uh, regenerative ag. Um, yeah. So I, I hope it. And and for me, like regenerative ag also is like a is a bucket to, to can hold agroecology and biodynamic farming and organics and. Yeah, so I think it it becomes a bigger container more and more because of my view too. It's because it's a destination. You can bring someone in that's still maybe using some chemicals because that's all that they've been taught and they know how to use. But we could slowly move them out of that. Based on what Rod just said right there, what do we know about Regen Egg now? So we know regenerative agriculture is about putting back what was once there. We know it's a bucket that all other types of environmentally friendly agriculture can fit into. We know its definition depends on what you're trying to measure. And we know it's a journey, it's a destination, it's a goal to strive for. I do have to admit that last one really resonates with me. So sometimes in the pursuit of a really great goal like restoring the land, You do a bunch of good things for the land and people along the way. This is the part of the episode where we're going to take the two ideas we've been discussing so far, so cooperatives and regenerative agriculture, and we're going to smash them together into one question. And that one question is, how can co-ops accelerate the uptake of regenerative agriculture in Alberta? Well, one of the things that we saw with YBC Growers is that we have been able to use our market access to put pressure on some farms. And so we've got a vegetable grower that's in the south of the province, and he'll use chemicals when he needs to. It doesn't really have kind of soil health at the top, um, has the, the, the vegetables as, as the, the main event. But we were able to kind of sit with him and say, like, a lot of our eaters are awake to the fact that they want, you know, chemical-free they want to feel good about the food that they're eating. And, and so we were able to say, well, if you don't spray your cabbage with whatever, we can sell 600 heads of cabbage mm-hmm. on a week. And and so like it, it, it creates this market opportunity for them, but then shifts their shifts their growing practices. So I think we've, we've actually seen the impact that that us as a cooperative can have on on agriculture in just that small, small way. I think another advantage of the cooperative model is is that idea of shared prosperity. And yeah, so it's not just going to be Sobeys, who's one of the richest families in Canada, making the money. Um, it's going to be distributed to the to the the people that were actually doing the work and and improving those environmental outcomes. So I think there's there's a way to kind of create that ownership structure that that elevates the environmental outcomes um, that regenerative ag promises but then also shares that prosperity so i think that 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 keeps the farmers doing what they're doing because i think a lot of farms they get into it with with hopes and dreams but if uh, the market's not paying then it's pretty hard to continue farming if you don't have a have a a place to sell your your produce okay 
I think a cooperative also does help because you've got to sit down and have that conversation and figure out, okay, what is our purpose? Uh, so I think early days with, with YWC Growers, we wanted to kind of make sure that farmers got a fair fair wage in the value exchange for, for food. But more recently, we've we've really kind of zeroed in on the fact that, yeah, regenerative ag is, is one of our core purposes. And so you can put that into the cooperative, but that's also where we're looking at, like there's a model called steward ownership is, yeah, I don't know if we want to go there, but mm-hmm. it's just something that we're looking at. And, and again, that's something that, that is really galvanized around a purpose. And so if we are wanting to regenerate multiple acres of land here in Alberta, um, we could actually put that into the purpose and, and make sure that everything is, is built around that. So that even if, if I come and go or any of, any of us come and go, like the, the purpose is still held sacred despite kind of people's waning interests in the topic. I think you can create that as, a, as part of your cooperative. And I think that's one of the beautiful things with a co-op is that like, if you're willing to do the work to create the, the structure, you can design it however you want. Whatever is, is most important is what you can put into that cooperative structure. It does cost a few dollars to, to work with legal resources to, to make that happen. And I think the, the multi-stakeholder idea does, does provide some possibility in terms of, of a tool. But you, were, you got uncomfortable putting the, the farmer and the, and the, the urbanite consumer in the same <laughs> in the same room because they don't speak the same language but and, and maybe that's it like maybe that is the possibility or the potential that that, that a, cooper- a shared ownership cooperative because we right now don't see we don't know how to talk to each other there mm-hmm. is that divide between rural and urban and and yeah i think there's several urban fight folk that that would want to i think understand better the the, the pressures that agriculture faces. Mm, no, definitely. I've, like I've met people for sure that are quite curious about it. That not, not everybody's completely judgy. Like you do meet some folks like that. But yeah, there's definitely people that live in cities that do want to understand like the producer perspective. Yeah, but also want to not degrade the environment any more than it has been. True. Is that a fine line? Yeah. Mm. I did want to push you a little bit on one thing you are brought up or i think you brought up and i guess again it's me uh playing the devil's advocate uh, so th- there are certain corporations that now have a interest in regenerative agriculture so why can't we just let them lead the charge like you, you're talking about kind of like that there's that one producer because of your guys share the market you were able to like help that producer sort of adjust their practices so yeah why can't we just leave it to the the bigger companies to help adjust practices yeah. <laughs> How radical do you want to be in your answer? It's <laughs> <laughs> going off the script. I mean, yeah, like so McCain's, uh, you know, kudos to them for wanting to do regenerative, you know, but they grow potatoes. Mm-hmm. You can't get a less regenerative crop than potatoes. And so, so what exactly is going to be their metrics? And so this is where you know, like I think everybody's like, well, what's the definition? What's the definition? And we, I mean, we, we have potato producers here that actually have a very high view of soil and soil health. Poplar Bluff and Eagle Creek are two of them. And so, yeah, if you sit down with them, um, you understand kind of crop rotation. You understand kind of repairing um, sections where they grew potatoes kind of for the two two years after that crop before they come back with potatoes. And so like, so like they've, they've put in 
systems practices that that kind of reverse the damage that a potato crop does to the soil and, and really like the the damage it's not like it, it you've got to till it up to get those potatoes out and so mm-hmm. you're you're destroying that soil structure every time that you need to to harvest a potato so i want mccain's to to feature a regenerative egg and i want them to push that um, but there needs to be some support around that and some transparency around that as well mm. well that makes a lot of sense and i was also thinking with your guys model too because you're not as you said you're not trying to push down producers on the price because the thing i can't remember i was talking to dana penrice about this is like business viability is a climate solution in a way like you can't force producers to adopt climate friendly agriculture or regenerative agriculture and expect them to like well whatever happens to you financially that's your problem but you have to right do these practices because we want it so yeah kind of in your guys case where you are trying to pay them like a a fair wage and what they Mm -hmm. deserve like that in itself i'm wondering would also be an advantage to a co-op to help accelerate regenerative agriculture in alberta yeah i mean sometimes i i I think what we need is is some kind of well like farmer's footprint is a nonprofit that that zach bush put together and so he's a medical doctor in the states all of these ill health outcomes because of just what people are eating and so he kind of created this foundation to to help farmers transition and so I, I I really like the model, and I don't. I'm obviously going on record here, but <laughs> the stories that I heard was that so what they would do is they would talk to a farmer. You know, what was your general your average income for the last couple of years before you decided to kind of switch to regenerative? And so they they would guarantee a payout of that amount of money the farmer needed it to make the transition. So they would guarantee that over three years. And the story I heard is that nobody ever dipped into the fund because that first year they were already ahead of the game and largely i think it's like your inputs and your mm-hmm. chemical fertilizers and stuff like if you take that expense out of your out of your system yeah you've got excess cash makes sense huh? but 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 so like so like i think there is a need for for some kind of an arm to to kind of help support and and like obviously the federal government is is recognizing that they're wanting to kind of support farmers to move to more climate-friendly agriculture mm. as well. So, so I think I think there is a it, it's a good movement to move forward in that way. But I think what what we need in regenerative ag circles is that infrastructure that that can move those the product. I mean, it's not product, like, but the, the the feed, the food, the animals, the 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 whatever we've produced. Where like so the conventional system is all set up like. If I do beef, uh, like I did on on our farm, like there was a point where we would just call the the trucker and and they would get shipped off and taken to the feedlot or whatever to get finished and that sort of thing. And so, like that that system is what a lot of urbanites don't want. Uh, but we don't have a good structure mm. um, alternate that that makes it easy for people to go. Oh, you know, when I buy this meat here, I know I'm getting a cow that that was pretending to be a buffalo and and restoring the ecosystem right now you go to the store and you're you're kind of forced to get whatever you get and you don't know you don't know where it came from so i think there's there's a huge potential like even if all beef producers in alberta which is our thing all regenerative like grass-fed beef producers i think there's there is huge potential for them to kind of come together and create something that where people know okay this is this is the beef that that we want 
Okay, well, let's uh, now this this question you don't have to answer it from a co-op perspective. Just give us the rod perspective, which I realize is a very broad perspective because you do a lot of different things. But the the main question of the regenerative agriculture lab that you're a part of right now is how do we accelerate the uptake of regenerative agriculture with its integrity intact in the province of Alberta? So how do we do that, Rod? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about for probably eight years. All right. So you must have an answer by now. Eh? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think education is, is a huge piece of it. Yeah, recognizing that, that tillage r- reduces nutrient density in the, in the soil just because it's breaking up the soil structure. That chemicals that we think we're throwing into the soil actually destroy the, the aggregates in the soil as well. And so then that creates more dust storms of, of, of agriculture. So I think, you know, having that, that kind of well just the education of that i think is super important now obviously we're all educated to the point where where we're overwhelmed with just how how bad we're doing things Uh. (laughs) and how and how you know different global systems ecological and water cycle whatever like they're going kind of in the wrong direction so i i get it that that's super overwhelming so i think for me regenerative like trying to figure out what motivates people and and right now like we're looking at YRC growers and and we're confused why more and more people aren't aren't kind of signing up and i think there's a there's a lack of convenience to to all of the things that we do around regenerative agriculture it's definitely not convenient for us as farmers because we're putting a, a much higher standard on ourselves in terms of of how we produce that food and so for me ultimately i think we need to find <laughs> find our our strength and our courage to kind of push against this this slumping to towards convenience. I get that it's it's overwhelming. This is, yeah. So uh, how do we do that? I feel like we 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 tell these stories of hope. So we just had these two farm tours with YWC growers, one on bikes and one out in the country. And I get I get moved by by farmers that are so dedicated. Happiness by the acre going from half a percent of organic matter up to between 10 and 15 in three years. Science does not know what to do with that. <laughs> um, and so I think I think our, our community, you know, our urban communities need to know that that there's some keyed in agriculture folks in this province that that are doing the work for your kids and your kids' kids <clears throat> by restoring the environment. Yeah, and, and then I, I guess part of it too is like, I, I've, I've been working with some scientists here in Calgary, the Mount Royal and at University of Calgary and, and wanting them to kind of be part of it. Like if you're doing the work of research and all that kind of stuff, you need it to do it in, in service of our community as well. And so actually they were at the tour. And so I'm, I'm pretty stoked about kind of the, what's brewing there. So like, then we have, we have kind of farmer pragmatic science on the ground, but then we've actually got the legit science as well that, that can start telling that story that no, we got this people. Like there is hope in, in doing agriculture this way. And and I think that that's where, I don't know, we need, we need more people telling the, the hopeful story and the hopeful stories of farmers in, in the province. And does that, does that, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, an, I'm an eternal optimist, hopeful. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that like it, it motivates me. And I mean, I don't want to eat anything that hasn't been grown in this way anymore because I know it's, it's damaging the environment. It's actually damaging my health. And so if, if you want to, we need to kind of jump on board with that. I think actually one of the, one of the untapped 
urban kind of realities is 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 this whole nutritionist holistic nutritionist so they they know the the education and i know that a lot of them are like well you got to get fresh vegetables well they should be connecting with us like mm -hmm. we should be like their first stop in in terms of getting getting that good vegetable out to people yeah and then like even even our kind of our disease care system um sometimes called the healthcare system they, they're starting to kind of prescribe vegetables as as the medicine and and i think when you when you when you eat vegetables that that we're growing um it actually does become that medicine and so so i feel like there's a there's a there's something on the horizon where where the value of what we are doing is going to be recognized um we're still in early days and and yet yeah more and more people i i think are going to want that A few days after we recorded this episode with Rod, I was stuck in a lineup for a loaf of bread. No, I wasn't in a different country, and no, I had not gone back in time to the Great Depression or something like that. I was just in Calgary, and the bakery wasn't short on bread either. It's just a really popular bakery, so I was stuck, and if you can believe it, it was a 20-person lineup. It was going outside on a Saturday morning around 9 a.m. When I was in the lineup, I got to thinking about that convenience piece that Rod's been talking about. That obstacle that's there for a lot of regenerative producers who want to feed people nutrient-dense food. And it dawned on me when I was in that lineup that people are totally willing to be inconvenienced if they want something badly enough. It's not their preference, but, you know, they're willing to put up with it if they have to. Just think of how many people line up for the newest smartphone when it's released. So how do we do that with Regen Egg? How do we make nutrient-dense food that's been produced through regenerative practices, like that loaf of bread, which was delicious, by the way, but it's something that me and a bunch of other people were willing to line up for, pay top dollar for, and did I mention that bakery is only open three days a week? How do we create that kind of demand around food produced through regenerative agriculture? I wish I knew the answer. But could you imagine what the land, what rural Alberta would look like if people in cities like Calgary and Edmonton wanted the foods that were produced by regenerative farmers and ranchers, they wanted those foods so badly that they were totally okay with lining up for them on a Saturday morning. This podcast may not have all the answers, but it sure does have plenty of dreams. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and social innovation labs. We produce a farmer's blog. We work with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects. And of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Brenda Barrett, Lance Tailfeathers, and Marta Svart. The podcast is funded by a variety of foundations based in Alberta. 
This episode was recorded in Calgary, which means this episode was recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in Métis Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the farm is usually good for the climate.